Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Scene to Theme podcast. I'm your host, Valerie Complex, associate editor and film writer at Deadline.com. Today, we're talking to director-writer Cord Jefferson, and we're talking to producer Jamie Johnson about their latest project, American Fiction, which, if you didn't know, won the TIFF Audience Award this year. The film stars Jeffrey Wright, Tracy Ellis Ross, Issa Rae, Sterling K. Brown, Eric Alexander, and John Ortiz. American Fiction follows Thelonious Monk Ellison, who is a respected author and professor of English literature, but his impatience with his students' cultural sensitivities is threatening his academic standing. His latest novel is also failing to attract publishers. They claim Monk's writing isn't quote-unquote black enough. Now, one night in a fit of spite, Monk concocts a novel embodying every black cliche he can imagine. His agent submits it to major publishers who immediately offer the biggest advance that he's ever seen. As the novel is rushed to printers and Hollywood comes knocking, Monk must reckon with the monster of his own creation. Now, Cord Jefferson has an impressive and varied list of projects under his belt, which include the groundbreaking limited series Watchmen, for which he won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Writing for a limited series alongside Damon Lindelhoff for their episode, The Extraordinary Bee. Prior to making his way into television and film, Jefferson was a respected and seasoned journalist, most notably serving as the West Coast editor for Gawker. Back in 2020, Jermaine Johnson was featured in the Hollywood Reporter's 35 Under 35 Next Generation. Jermaine was an executive producer on the Image Awards nominated series From Scratch, which is currently streaming on Netflix, and I definitely recommend it. And of course, he's the producer on American Fiction. So in our conversation today, Cord, Jermaine, and I discuss Percival Everett's novel Erasure, which is the book American Fiction is adapted from. We also discussed a film that tackles similar topics to American fiction, and that's Robert Townsend's hit film Hollywood Shuffle. And lastly, we talk about what it would be like if we all ended up working at the post office. Now, if you don't know what I mean by that, you got to go out and see Hollywood Shuffle for that one. Now, if you like what you hear on today's episode, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast on Apple, Spotify, and iHeart. And with that said, let's get into it. How did you come to write this book? What really struck me was that too few books were about my people. Where are our stories? Where's our representation? Would you give us the pleasure of reading an excerpt? Yo, Sharonda! Girl, you be pregnant again? If I is, Ray Ray is gonna be a real father this time around. Thank you. Hello. Thank you both for coming on, Jermaine and Cord. I was just 
telling Jermaine that the since Toronto, the film has been really the talk of the town. And I know that when I spoke to you last, we were talking about this being like the ultimate conversation starter and it has done just that either by, you know, discussion or people spreading the word and other people being like, damn, I, I can't wait to see that. And how's that been? How's that reception been? You know, what have you guys heard as far as feedback so far? I mean, the reception has been great. I think that the, all I wanted from this movie ever was like, to me, the, the, the dream was always, I was just speaking with this, with this woman, this other woman who was here to talk about the movie. And, and she said she she had seen it by herself and she was thinking to herself, I'm so annoyed that I have to wait two months to talk to any of my friends about this because like, it's going it, to, my friends aren't going to see it for another two months. And like, I want to talk to them about it immediately. And that to me is sort of like the highest compliment. And that's what I wanted out of the movie was I, I just, I'm really, really, really delighted by the fact that people this is just sparking conversations because that to me is always the best. That's, that's the art that always really, that, that to me is always an indication of something that, that uh, like a metric of success for me is when I leave a movie or a play or finish reading a book and immediately all I want to do is like turn to one of my friends and say like, let's go get dinner and talk about this thing because it's, it's like sparked so many ideas in my head and so many, so many, I want to just have a conversation with you and see what you think about it. Like, that to me is always um, that kind of like passion is is always sort of like an, uh, uh, to me a sign of success. And so the fact that that it's having that effect is is wonderful. I, that that to me was always always the dream when we set out to make this was just it is getting people to talk about stuff and think about things and and engage with ideas in a way that is just really exciting for me to see. Jermaine, uh, you have any thoughts on that as well? Yeah, no, it feels like such a fantastic continuation of a conversation that we've been having at, you know, dinner parties and at bars for so many years now. And to be able just to kind of invite everybody else into that, that conversation has been a lot of fun. And, and I love the fact that, you know, there there wasn't a, a finger on the scale as to what the answer is to the questions that are posed, right? And we can just get in there and that's that kind of just engages debate in a way. And I think that's why I think, Val, you're, to, to your point of, you know, you seeing it kind of grow and grow, it's because there isn't a right or wrong. We live in shades of gray and it's like, let's just talk it out and see where we land and exchange ideas. And that's the fun of something like this. There is something to be said about the theater experience as well with this, um, having gone, you know, going to a film festival, sitting down with a large crowd and sort of um, being a part of the action and the reaction and listening to to uh, different conversations happening in the, in the crowd. And so have you had your own like particular conversations about the film and, you know, what did that, what did those discussions look like before you even started shooting? Uh, the, the thing that, the number one thing, the number one discussion that we probably had that I wanted to ensure before we started shooting that everybody was on the same page was that it was because it was a question that Jeffrey had for me when we first met to talk about the script in the film. Yes. Well, that's not true. There was two things. There was two things that I, that I wanted out of the movie before we sat down to start making it, which is it had to be funny. I wanted it to be funny. That was, I didn't want to, 
I didn't want to make something that was talking about these issues in a very self-serious, morose way. I wanted something that was going to make people laugh and leave the theater with a smile on their face. The second thing that I wanted to ensure that we we talked about long, we talked, we had long conversations about just make sure we were on the all on the same page was that I never wanted the the movie to feel like it was policing blackness or policing art. And that was sort of also incredibly important to me. It was, it was, I didn't want it to be like respectability politics, pull up your pants, young man. And this is how you, this is how you behave as a good black person, or this is how you behave as a good black artist. I didn't want to do any of that. And I wanted to make sure that the movie stayed as far away as possible from doing that. And that nobody could sort of walk away interpreting it that way. And so those were kind of the two main focuses of like, those were my two main desires before we sat. Obviously, you know, there's other things that I wanted out of the movie. But those were sort of like the the main two that I just really wanted to focus on from the very, very beginning. Now, when having conversations about art and the intersections between Blackness and art, have you had any experiences um, as to where it's made it difficult for you to uh, to navigate that sort of world, and this is for the both of you, um, you know, as we talked about before, Court, as an, as an artist or as someone who does something artistic, there is always barriers that exist at these intersections to truly be your authentic self. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a person who's not quick to anger. I used to be a person who was quick to anger, but I've worked very hard to not be a person who's quick to anger anymore. But Jermaine can tell you how... Loud I got one day when Jermaine was was tasked with delivering me a note that I need to make a character in a script of mine blacker. Jermaine, Jermaine was the one who sort of like <laughs> delivered me that message. And Jermaine can tell you how loud I got when when sort of that when somebody came to me to say that this character in a script wasn't black enough. The thing that I told Jermaine was, I want you to tell them that if they ever want to give me this note, then they need to come to me specifically directly and explain to me what blacker looks like i was just about to ask that i was like what the hell does that mean yeah exactly like i was i was like i need you i need them to come directly to me and say and tell me what blacker looks like and guess what they're never going to do that because they know the minute that they they need to do that that they're going to put their foot in their mouths and sound like idiots and so they didn't but yeah, absolutely. This is something, I mean, and I'm sure Jermaine has his own stories of this stuff. <laughs> Man, I was getting mad just thinking about it. I, the funny thing is I remember that vividly. And it's like, I had a I had an entire hour conversation to that effect with the executive before I said, okay, I'll, I'm going to go talk to him about this, but I, I'm going to tell you how this is going to go. And and, it, and it's funny because that's the reality of it. And And for, you know, there's notes like that. Cord spoken about how, you know, especially early on and and not for nothing, even still, we, you know, we'll we'll get pitched things for for things that are very kind of reductive. It's like, hey, we know he did this, this um genre piece that that kind of had uh the intersection of the Tulsa race riots, you know, over at Watchmen. It's like, does he want to do this slave narrative show? And it's like, no, if what would you know, why would you think that? And 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 Court, honestly, for every one of those things that I talked to you about, we've probably gotten 10 that I haven't told you about yeah. because it wasn't <laughs> worth the energy. <laughs> but that that's and and the thing is, Valerie, it's going to keep happening, right? Like we're 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 really um grateful for for the conversation that this movie is engaging in and the conversation that people are willing to have. But 
there will still be phone calls from people that have optioned a book about an escaped slave and they will call and say, hey, does Core Jefferson want to do this? Or any any number of other people that I work with that happen to be people of color that have no desire to write about, you know, trauma or narratives like that, but they will still call because there is, uh, I think Core calls it a poverty of imagination, but I think that 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 hasn't gone away. We are hoping that people will start to, you know, kind of see the light a little bit, but you know, at the end of the day, there's people that are just going to see it as binary and saying, hey, we want this Black person to write about this Black thing instead of the whole tableau of the Black experience. I wonder, you know, because one of the things that me and my homegirl was talking about when we walked out was like, damn, like, has anything changed since like 2020? You know, it, you know, there were some semblances of things that might change, but maybe it hasn't, maybe some things have. And I'm curious to know what you guys think is like in the art world, in this world, uh, you know, the world of film. Has anything like really changed or has it just become more covert? Like the nerve of somebody being like, can you make something blacker is really just like, it seems par for the course, really. It didn't surprise me one bit. So I know other, I know white folks might be surprised by that, but not me. Despite all my cynicism about some of this stuff, I am a person who honestly believes that in many ways we are constantly getting better, right? I, I don't think we can say that about the climate. Obviously, there's things that are not clearly not getting better. But as far as sort of like, I think our society's understanding of these issues, I do think that we are always getting better. I do think that I do think that obviously there was like a lot of action going on post George Floyd post post that in 2020. And everybody was sort of like talking about making movements. And I think we backslid in many ways, but I do think that there was some good that came out of that. And I do think that other people are learning and talking about these things. And that's what, in fact, why I think you're seeing such a reaction from like conservative spheres in America where they're trying to erase slavery from history books and they're trying to sort of like ban books from children's libraries uh and they're sort of like they're trying to get rid of critical race theory whatever that means to them like I I do think that one of the reasons why we're seeing that reaction that sort of like sort of intense response is because people see the changes and they don't want those changes to come about. And so they're doing everything in their power to try to fight back against the changing tides. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that you always see that response when people in power see, see a change happening on the horizon and they're afraid of it. And so I do think that things are getting better. That being said, I think we have a long, long way to go. You know, I said, and so I, I just I, I think that, you know, these things happen in increments, unfortunately. You know, it's very rare that something that that the world changes overnight, particularly when it's issues like this that are so deeply entrenched in society and sort of and so many institutions and, and organizations are sort of like propped up and, and sort of like built on foundations that these narratives that we know to be fake are true. Uh, and so it's going to take a lot of work, but I do I do think things are getting better, but we have a long, 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 long way to go. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And I think that's that's the thing, especially on on the executive side of this, on the on the business end. You know, I think there's been a things that are encouraging. Right. I feel like there are executives of color that feel more empowered to speak up in the room and hold people accountable. Um, and that's really been heartening to me to see that, you know, I, I would hope like, look, the note of make this character blacker will still be said. But now there will be executives of color inside the network that won't ever let that note you know they will push back before that note gets to me right right and okay. and that that is something that i can't say we necessarily had five years ago um and even to this the extent of you know we saw all these dei initiatives pop up and then the moment people stopped price took a hit they went away right. um and and normally that happens in a vacuum and no one says anything and actually see press coverage and people clocking it and holding these places accountable. That was new to me. That was something that I felt like you wouldn't have seen a few years ago. So I I think I'm encouraged by that. And, you know, the work is really never done. I think that's the soapbox I live on is that we are, we are making progress and, you know, it's glacial. We all knew that. We just have to keep doing the work. Right. And I, I would say that, I would say as it pertains directly to this film, one of the things that, that, you know, so, so, Valerie, have you ever seen um, Hollywood Shuffle? Yes, many, many, many times. Okay, yeah. So that's I love that movie. Uh, it had such a it had such an effect on me when I was younger. It's such an inspiration. That movie, I I saw that movie when I was a kid, and and then many, many, many times like you and and over the years I've started reading about it and reading about the making of it. And one of the things that I found out when I was researching it was that the movie was shot over the course of like two years. Because Tina and Ivory Waynes and uh, Robert Townsend couldn't get any funding for it, nobody would nobody would give the money for it, and so Robert Townsend maxed out like twelve or thirteen credit cards, and they shot it over the course of two years because they would shoot on a Saturday and Sunday, and then they would all go back to work for a couple of weeks until they made enough money that they could rent the equipment again, and then they'd shoot another Saturday or Sunday. And then they'd all go back to work and they just kept repeating that over the course of like a year and a half or two years because because the, nobody would give the money to make the film. And now, you know, here I am 40 years later, you know, I, I made a movie sort of about these similar things that sort of like, you know, that that has a spiritual sort of like I really do think that Hollywood shuffles a spiritual predecessor to this. And it's it's critiquing entertainment. It's critiquing culture. It's sort of like critiquing these institutions. And yet I was able to convince an institution to give me millions of dollars to make this movie, you know, and I'm not, I'm not out here maxing out my credit cards to try to, to try to make this. And so, you know, I think that that is a very clear show of progress. I really do think that that is, you know, Mm -hmm. it's taken 40 years, but now, you know, maybe if, if Robert Townsend had tried to make Hollywood shuffle today, like he would have found somebody, he wouldn't have had to max out his credit card, you know? And so, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a small, small piece of growth, but it's, it's growth nonetheless. And it's something that I, I think about when I think about sort of like 
who I credit with sort of allowing me to make this movie. Obviously, it's the it's the financiers and the producers and people who sort of like to this day are are risking things in order to make this make this project. But I also think of like that I'm here thanks to people like Robert Townsend and Keenan Ivory Waynes, who like maxed out their credit cards and busted their asses and worked for years of their life to execute their vision. Like I'm here because of those guys too, because they opened the door a little bit more and let me in. And so hopefully we can, you know, with this project, open the door a little bit more to let somebody else in down the road. Look, the one thing Hollywood Shuffle taught Black folks is that there's always jobs at the post office. <laughs> I think. <laughs> and, that, and I think that that's something that has really resonated and has even crossed my mind. I'm like, if I can't make it as a screenwriter, I mean, I was in the military for a while. I'm like, I can just use those years to go work at the post office for, yeah. for, for, for the next 12 years and then just retire or whatever. Um, so that has crossed my mind. Um, so bringing it, bringing it in a little bit, um, Jermaine, can you talk about like producing something like this and like the, you know, any challenges or barriers you may have faced trying to bring the whole thing together? Well, I mean, it's it, producing anything is is a, a labor of love and a bit of a war of attrition. Um, so but from the very beginning, it, it was I think the joy of it was we we believed so wholly in in the mission of it. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. Right. You know, my job, even from the very beginning, is to is to not is to not put barriers in the way myself, right? Because I think a right. lot of people will get a phone call from a client that's in a television deal saying they want to make a movie and say, oh no, we can't do that. And my immediate reaction was, let's dig in. Let's, 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 you know, let's figure out how we get the rights to this book. Let's figure out how we put you in a room with Percival. How do we put this together? And then of course it's, you know, I, this movie happened in three years, which is an incredible feat in terms of, you know, the length of time movies take to get made but there were still hurdles all along the way, whether it be scheduling and figuring out times where we could get, you know, cord in the room with potential cast, like just like, just because everybody's got other things going on. Um, the, the, the idea of really just kind of, you know, at a court's point, like we did, we, we had fantastic partners with T street and MRC in, mm -hmm. in, 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 you know, uh, taking the risk of making this film we took a lot of other meetings, you know what I mean? Like there was a lot of meetings of, of people that said, Hey, we like this. This is exciting. You know, we've have to go find the money or people that said, Hey, we have the money, but we're not at a company that, that we feel would make this movie. We don't, you know, it, it's, it's mm -hmm. not as, you know, that's the thing. Robert Townsend and, and Keen and everyone has worked really hard to, for us to stand on their shoulders for us to have one company that was willing to take a big risk at this, you know, this many years later. And and that's one hurdle in of itself. And then you know the the adage of, um, you know, you're, a movie's never really done. You either run out of time or run out of money. Right. And 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 that was you know we shot it over the course of six weeks in Boston. Um, you know we had all sorts of situations, inclement weather, not being you know like <laughs> shooting down in situate at that beach house, and just having a whole day planned, and then the weather decides that you have to make other plans. That's all part of it. it it's, you know, uh, um, losing people that we thought were, were going to be different pieces of cast and having to pivot like so many different kind of hurdles that you find in the course of producing a movie. And, and the fun thing about being in it with with people that you trust and respect, you know, like Cord, you know, like Ben McClare, like Nikos and Rom and all of those people is the fact that 
we never we never got frustrated. We just said, okay, how do we fix this? Right. The the problems are going to keep coming. And and our job as producers and collaborators is to find solutions, creative solutions on the fly mm -hmm. and trust each other that that we one of us will come up with the best idea and that best idea will will win out and we will solve this. So it's um yeah, and and that leads over honestly, even in the post-production, even in the how you're marketing it, it's just it's just a real big trust exercise at the highest level from beginning to end. And that's that's been the journey of it. And it's been a lot of fun, but you know, it's it's a challenge every day because you don't know what the next issue is going to be until it presents itself. And did you guys always have uh, Jeffrey Wright in mind for the role? And I remember speaking candidly about Jeffrey Wright after I came out the film, like, you know, people forget this dude is like leading man material. And, um, you know, you see a performance like that and, and people tend to forget. And it's like, mm, no, he's been in the business for a long time. I, I'm not really sure how you couldn't see that, uh, you know. Yes to everything you just said. The, the the I knew I started reading the novel that I adapted in Jeffrey Wright's voice. That's how early I knew that I wanted Jeffrey Wright to be in the movie. I started reading Monk and uh picturing Monk when I was reading the book as Jeffrey Wright. And so I sort of knew it immediately. And he was, and as soon as I was done with the script, he was the first person we went to. It was like Jeffrey. I had no, I mean, there's a danger in sort of like getting your hopes up in that way and sort of thinking right. about people in that way, because if he says no, then I would obviously been super dejected. But so the, but when I went to him and chatted with him, I just knew immediately the first thing that Jeffrey asked and sort of like the, the thing that, the thing that um, really solidified for me that he was perfect was that he said uh, is the first thing that he asked is he's, he's he said, I want to make sure that we're not, like talking down to black people with this movie. It was the first thing that he said. It's exactly like, which I, which, which I had referenced earlier. Like I had always said, I never want to police blackness. I don't want to do respectability politics bullshit. And it was the first thing that he asked me when he sat down with me to talk about the script. And it was, I knew immediately, like that's the exact right question to ask. It's the exact sort of thing that the, the lead should be thinking about. And it was perfect. It was. And so I'm so, so, so thrilled that he signed on. Um, and also, yes, I, I, the first time that I saw Jeffrey Wright was in um, Angels in America, was mm -hmm. in the Mike Nichols adaptation um, and loved his performance there. And the second time I saw him was Basquiat and loved him there. And then I was trying to think if this was accurate. I think it was. I never saw Jeffrey Wright as the lead in anything after that, after Basquiat, ever. I saw him in a lot of stuff. I saw him in 007 and Batman, Westworld, and uh, um, Game Night, which is uh, was an amazing Jeffrey Wright cameo. Uh, and I was always like, this guy's great. He can do anything. He's so funny. He's obviously a wonderful dramatic actor, but I never saw him as the lead in anything. And I felt the exact same way you did. I was like, this guy is a leading man. He's so good and so capable. And the thing is, is that when you when you reference Jeffrey Wright, when you talk to Jeffrey Wright and people who know acting and know movies and know theater, they all agree. He's like an actor's actor. Everybody's like, oh, God, Jeffrey Wright, he's incredible. He's incredible. They all like universally people say that. And it's like. Yeah, he is incredible. Isn't it strange that he's not the lead in more things? Isn't it, isn't it crazy that he's not 
carrying films, you know? Right. And to me, that was, uh, you know, that was always frustrating. And, and I think that, it, you know, it's a, it's a good, uh, he's, he, Jeffrey Wright is the perfect example of how underutilized black actors are in this industry. Like how, how, um, how, how people see them only as being like a very specific, uh, a very specific piece of like a puzzle to like help move plot forward or sort of like to help, help sort of, um, you know, Jeffrey's an incredible actor, but like he could, you know, he's always commissioner Gordon or he's like the, He's like the uh, the CIA agent in 007, and he's great in those roles. But people just, I think people are hesitant. I, I don't think, I know. People are hesitant to put black leads in things. They just are. And I think that that is, um, Jeffrey is sort of like a perfect example of somebody who's just been, despite their talent, despite the fact that everybody knows they're incredibly talented, uh, they just never get the the sort of like meaty, big roles that they that they can do mm -hmm. unfortunately the last question i have is for people who will be seeing this for the first time and they're going into the theater with no expectations and you've mentioned some of the things but is there anything that you haven't mentioned that you hope they get out of watching this after seeing american fiction and this is for you jermaine as well anything you hope that people get out of watching and seeing this I just hope that I hope that people do what you do, what you did, which is that immediately get out and want to talk about it with your friend. That to me is sort of the only thing that I that, like to me that there is no one of the so so the end of the so at the end of erasure, the very last page is just this uh, is this Latin phrase that um, is usually used in um, mathematics and. It, it translates roughly to, I believe, uh, I offer no hypothesis. And um, to me, that in keeping with the spirit of that, this was not a movie designed to to spoon feed anybody moral lessons or spoon feed anybody like the sort of solutions to the problem. Like sometimes there there are no solutions to the problem, or sometimes the solution to the problem is you figuring out how you feel about something. And so, to me. Um, this movie was made intentionally to not be full of answers to questions. Uh, and to me, that's some of the, that that's the kind of art that I always really love and engage with is stuff that puts forward a series of instances and situations and characters and allows you to draw your own conclusions and walk away feeling how you want to feel about it without, as Jermaine said a bit earlier, is just without sort of like treating things as if they're binary and right or wrong and, um, and uh, appropriate and inappropriate, like the things are so things are more complex than that. And I sort of appreciate when things show that complexity. And so, to me, you just walking out of the theater and saying, like, I want to talk to you about this instantly to the friend that you saw it with. That to me is the dream. It's just people leaving the theater and saying, like, let's go to a bar and have a drink, or let's go to a restaurant and have a meal and talk about what we just saw because I can't stop thinking about it. That to me is the sort of like the thing that I want people to take away. Absolutely. And I, I think the only the only thing I would add to that is just the um, it's more of like an encouragement of like if you if you find yourself watching it and you're laughing or you're crying or whatever and you feel uncomfortable, follow that feeling. Like to me, it's always just about the idea of like being uncomfortable has probably yielded some of the best things in, in my life and in my career. And I think the art that's challenged me when I felt uncomfortable has always kind of yielded growth. So for me, it's like if you find yourself being uncomfortable, lean, lean into that and don't run away from it. Agreed. Here, here. 
I want to thank you guys for like being so candid and, and honest about about the film. I can't wait to see what other discussions get started up, what other arguments st go down on Twitter, because that's going to be interesting. Um, <laughs> and thank you for bringing up Hollywood Shuffle, because it gives me hope that I'll end up somewhere, even if it's the post office. Hell yeah, thank you. I'm I'm uh, one of the festivals that we're showing the film at is uh, AFI in, in LA this weekend. And... Uh, the person doing the Q and A afterward is Robert Townsend. He's he saw the film and he agreed to come and do the do the Q and A with me after the film. And so to me, it's like truly like a childhood dream come true that he's going to do that. I'm very very. Ex I kind of he's supposed to ask me about my movie, but I just kind of just want to interview about <laughs> yeah. the whole time. Yeah, because it's like, what makes you think that the post office has openings? Like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I that was the one thing that always stuck with me because growing up, it was like, well, why don't you just go work at the post office? I'm like, I have other aspirations, and then you think about those aspirations and you explore them, and you're like, yeah, the post office doesn't sound too bad, actually. Government benefits, government benefits, like the government benefits and everything. Thank you guys so much. I, 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 you know, am thankful that you guys are the ones handling this. There is no better duo that could be taking care of something like this right now. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you truly, Valerie. Thank you.